All right, I'm going to start off episode 119 with an email I got from a listener of the podcast, Eric Hall. First off, I'd like to thank you for responding to my comments via Twitter and Instagram. I recently ran and hiked my first 50K at the end of September, thanks to your podcast. This journey started on Thanksgiving morning, 2018. I ran the Cleveland Turkey Trot 5K. I was completely out of shape, both physically and mentally, but I knew I needed to start doing something. I could feel myself struggling with the day-to-day interactions of life. Mentally, I was so low that my workouts felt like a success if I even just made it to the gym parking lot. I found myself sinking lower and lower. That endless feeling of how do I fix me? How much longer can this spiral of suck continue? Somehow, and forever grateful, in January, I found your podcast and I was hooked. I'd recently been turned on to Goggins and a few others and learned the term ultramarathon. With the help of your podcast and the urging of my friends, I've been going strong for a year. 5K, 10K, half, and then my 50K. Yes, I skipped the full marathon. Training for Ultra not only seemed to help me with running, but it helped me tremendously with my life. Entertaining and informative, for sure, but most importantly, it empowered me to get up and fight. Running saved my life, and honestly, Training for Ultra podcast has kept me running and is a huge part of the equation. I wish I was a better storyteller. Also, it's a long, long story, best told over a couple of Sufferfest beers. But I went from rock bottom to enjoying life again, and that's what counts. Thank you for the podcast. Congrats on the Triple Crown and the 401k for pediatric cancer. Hopefully, I'll get to thank you in person someday. P.S. I signed up for a 24-hour endurance run in May of 2020 and plan on making it a fundraising charity event. Hopefully, we will revise this story and make it a 5k to 24-hour Thanks again. Sincerely, middle of the pack, average dude, Eric Hall. Eric, thank you for the note. Just truly incredible. And I'm really grateful that, you know, the podcast is impacting you so positively. And again, I don't know if people really fully grasp why I do what I do, but this is a a perfect, perfect example. When I get these messages, there's no amount of financial or whatever type of compensation that is anywhere close to as rewarding. So, you know, changing people's lives for the better is why I do this. I want to show you guys you're capable of more and that change for the better is possible. And whatever I can do through whatever media, you know, video, um, podcasts, books, Instagram, just about whatever it is, this is why I do it. Thank you, Eric, for the note. If you want to send me a note, feel free. Trainingforultra at gmail.com. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect the shit out of that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. 
Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. okay. <laughs> so classic. Oh my god, because literally thing would be like, beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 119 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And we have a big episode. Cami Tasker is going to be interviewed. And it was an emotional one for me. I'd run with Cami during Bigfoot 200, and probably one of the most nice and caring people I've run with. So you'll get to hear more. During the interview, we'll save that. Big shout out to the show sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, Exoskin, Ultimate Direction, and Destination Trail. We'll start with Exoskin. They've launched a new style of bottom mid-compression low-rise with a new waistband, and they're offering... I think they have some specials going on. Check out their website. I think they're going to have up to 25% off. So they're they're having a buy a shirt at full price and you're going to get socks or leg sleeves for free. And then same thing with uh, buy a bottom and get a pair of socks or leg sleeves. So check out their website. I really, really like their toe socks, their compression, calf sleeves, base layers, all sorts of pretty much everything they've they've produced has such a high quality fabric that I am uh, I'm a fan. So thank you also to Hammer Nutrition. If you haven't tried them out, use my promo code 252888. You'll save 15% off your first order. You have to sign up. They have a new website. It's much easier to use other than for the referral code. So you have to actually have the account and you go through and it's right below where you put like the payment form in to get that discount on your first order. Big shout out to Sufferfest Beer. Really, really enjoy all their beers. They now have national distribution. Check out their website for the nearest retailer. And I need to go pick some up. I think it's a good, it's a good holiday gift. You got this is basically um, ultra running holiday gift ideas here. And uh, let's see here, Ultimate Direction. Really like their uh, waist belt. And if you pair it with a Kogala. Uh, light. It's actually really awesome. I think their waist belts are reasonably priced and that combination for 100 milers and beyond, it's it's really unbeatable. So definitely check that combination out. And then Ultimate Direction, Candice and Crystal and the whole team selling the Triple Crown like crazy, but they have more than just stupid long races. They have races of all distances. So Check out Destination Trail. Big shout out to the Patreon supporters. We have our virtual turkey trot coming up. So it's fun to have that closed Facebook group and interact and inspire each other. We've had some cool updates of photos from group members there. And then last but not least, I'm now offering mentoring. So check out trainforalter.com. 
It's not coaching. It's quasi kind of in between. So maybe you coach yourself, but you're not comfortable getting ready for that first ultra all by yourself. So check that out. And I'm excited. You know, I've, I have a few athletes and it's a big responsibility, but I do think I can add value. So thank you guys. Enjoy this episode. I'm joined by Kami Tasker. She's the founder of the nonprofit Running for Combat Veterans. Kami, thank you for joining me. We've shared miles. I'm excited to hear your story. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I think I was laying I think I was laying on the trail um asleep and you passed me and then we ended I ended up catching up to you and I got to hear just like tidbits of your story. Found it super inspirational at Bigfoot two hundred and I wanted to I wanted to hear more about you. So thank you for taking the time to to chat about your background and your running and everything you've done. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share. So I'll I'll start off with a story. I was at mile eight, I want to say a Bigfoot two hundred. I wanna say it's right around eight. And it's a big climb. And you're Cammy, you're having a conversation with some special ops guy. Um <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, I didn't I didn't have my headphones in yet. Because uh, he didn't start singing, but <laughs> but I'm I'm listening to you guys go back and forth with military talk, talking about like where you've been stationed, what programs or whatever you've been a part of, and like in the back of my head, I'm like, oh shit, like I'm I'm out in front of these two like uh, military train folks at least one of which was like special ops or something. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I hope I didn't go out too fast. So <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but I definitely remember that. <laughs> Do you, that was a fun morning. <laughs> so you can verify the story. I didn't just make that up. No, absolutely. Yeah. So it was, I was chatting with, with someone and then this gentleman who had also been, yeah, he'd been special ops and I was infantry when I was stationed in Iraq. So <laughs> I was, sharing my story and then we were sharing where we had been stationed and what units we were in and about our deployments and about our MOSs, which is our jobs. And yeah, we, we were definitely doing that during the climb and I hadn't noticed you during that time, but we caught up a couple different times on the trail later and got yeah. to know you better, which was awesome. Yeah. It was all like military talk and I was just like, <laughs> Oh God, <laughs> like, <laughs> middle of the pack crusher just went out in front of special ops guy and <laughs> military military cami um so let's start with um your background because i think i, I want to like kind of lay the story out for the listener when did you get involved in any kind of uh military background like just walk me through that part and then i want to hear what happened to you and i think the listener will be a little shocked the fact that you're walking <laughs> thank you yeah so i graduated in 2003 with my bachelor's um 
from Valdosta State University in Georgia. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I'm, I, di- I knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure how to get there. I'm sorry. I wanted to get into federal agent work. Um, my dad was an ex-FBI agent, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. So I went to school for criminal justice and had a, uh, got my bachelor's in criminal justice and law enforcement and got my undergrad in psychology. And I wasn't really sure how to get my foot in the door because um, these days it's all kind of about who you know or you're at the bottom of the totem pole. And I didn't really want to be a beat cop for about 10 years before I could apply for an agent position and actually get something. So um, I had found out the fastest way to jump um, was joining uh, the military either as Army or Marine uh, officer and doing a deployment. Um, so I signed up for the Army uh little later in life than normal. Like I said, I had my associates and my bachelor's and I think I was about 25, 24 or five when I actually got in. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> so went to military training. I did my job training and about a year and a half, two years after I joined, we ended up doing a deployment. I was in a medical company at that time and I was in an officer slot as a chemical and en- en- uh, enlisted um, chemical specialist is what I was at the time. Um, so I was waiting for my officer slot. I was doing, I think it was like a health science position was the slot I was going into and was getting ready to go to training in Fort Hood, Texas for six months when my brigade, my medical company should have been going to Iraq. And then after my six month training period, I would be commissioned as an officer. And then I would join the brigade for the last half of the deployment. And this had been set up for about a year in advance. I had gone through two different units at that time. I was in an uh, engineering brigade. It was my first company and they transferred me to uh, an officer based camp, uh, like unit called the 205th. And then we found out with my my bachelor's degree that I didn't need to actually be in that and, and go through the whole schooling process because I already had my bachelor's. And in that two-year period, I'd also gotten my master's degree. So I had a master's in forensic psychology. And at that point, you're allowed to get a direct commission, meaning you get pinned ahead of time. And then you go to school, you're training for six months, and then you join your unit and you're, you know, an officer. Mm-hmm. So they moved me from the 205th. And to this medical company, and I was sitting in a slot and waiting for school. And about a week before our deployment at my pinning ceremony, for which I thought was going to be my direct commission, my officer pin, I was pinned enlisted sergeant um, and totally floored and ended up getting attached to a support battalion um, and joining a group out of Yakima. Um, the B B Co one eight one. That's then, the type of talk that I heard going on behind yeah, me during that yeah. climb at mile eight. Yeah. And luckily I didn't hit the bushes or anything. <laughs> like I just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. I heard all that kind of crazy talk. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up where I was. I ended up going to Iraq with a um, support battalion out of Yakima, Washington, which is pretty much the middle of Washington. And they were in transportation, mainly mechanical type stuff. So um, we ended up going over there and then getting attached to an infantry uh, brigade battalion. And our job was convoy security operations for the entire year. And so that's how I started. 
doing what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening, go to Running for Combat Veterans. I think it's .org. And just check out the photo of Cammy. Um, probably one of the most badass photos I've ever seen of anyone, let alone... <laughs> Yeah, thank you. <laughs> actually, running with you. Oh, <laughs> um, thanks, man. So, tell me about what happened. I, how was initially? I mean, were because you're kind of on cloud nine. You got, you know, that amazing uh, sergeant, right? You got pinned yeah. sergeant. Like you're on cloud nine. No, I out wasn't there. on cloud nine because I was supposed to be pinned uh, officer. Meaning, so there are two different, basically parallel tracks in the military. And enlisted are people that haven't, they don't have degrees, and it's kind of like the workhorse of the army. And and they're amazing and incredible themselves. And I enjoyed working with almost everybody I worked with. But um, when you're planning on an officer route, you're kind of more the brains of the background. Um, yeah. And you're, you're wanting to do different, different work. So it was actually quite a shock. And oh, okay. Landing on uh, and pay pay wise, it was my deployment was it was a $50,000 difference for the year gone. <laughs> wow. So, um, okay. I, that's how I that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, how I, I struggled when I got home and ended up losing my home and um, got into debt um, because I had planned out the entire year as officer pay and my whole entire deployment got changed at the last minute. You mean the, I, the workhorses of the army don't all have master's degrees? Um, yeah. Geez. No, but Yikes. it was just it was just unfortunate that the MTO meaning the way we didn't have enough enlisted sergeants to fill the role of combat um, oh. inf infantry men, like uh, truck commanders in the combat role. So um, unfortunately they took me from the officer role and put me okay. as a sergeant and then said, you're going to be a truck commander for the year gone while you're gone. And it was just, it was flooring. And, okay. Okay. Yeah. So flooring. Okay. <laughs> That makes a lot more sense. I'm glad yeah. you, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm glad you elaborated there, but yeah. And so walk me through Iraq. I mean, that's pretty far away from where most of us live. Yeah. We so do actually have family. some listeners, um, in the middle East probably, but yeah. you know, walk me through like what, what transpired there. Okay. So once I found out where I was going, meaning not Texas for six months of uh, officer training, <laughs> going straight to Iraq as an infantryman, essentially, um, my family was pretty panicked, as was I, <laughs> because now I'm going, knowing full well I'm going to be shot at, probably, you know, and uh, doing a job that I wasn't planning on doing. Um, so that was quite a shock. We ended up getting sent up to Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, which is where we learned how to um, do our job, which is truck commanding. Basically, I did convoy security operations, and there are about 15 um, of our up armor vehicles to every 50 to 75 reefers, tankers, and fueler trucks. And basically I was just an up armored truck driver for uh, almost a year while we were deployed. Um, and our job is to make sure these trucks make it across Iraq. So I, with my unit, 
um, we would secure these vehicles and make sure they made it from post to post of delivering supplies and fuel and food um, on posts all across. So that was our position. We were actually very good at our job because I was with a support battalion that was in transportation. So all these people were mechanics and these vehicles we were in hadn't been really worked on in over a year. Um, the people we fell in, and I think were artillery. And so they, they hadn't really taken care of the vehicles. So this brings me to my second mission. Uh, we were riding along with the, uh, we were riding along with the artillery men, meaning the people that we are falling in on taking their vehicles, o- taking over their role so they could leave Iraq and go home. And my Humvee caught on fire. I was driving for another team at that time, um, just to get some, get me out on the roads because my vehicle was being worked on. It was deadlined at the time. Um, There was an issue with this door, the the door of the Humvee that I was in. Uh, When you got inside and you shut the door, you were unable to open it from the inside and get out. And I made that aware to my chief before we left um, base that day. And I'm pretty claustrophobic in general. So that made me panic. <laughs> yeah. um, not being able to get out. And I'd be panicked in my own yeah. car, just in a 15 yeah. minute commute to work. Like so I, I did deadline the vehicle, but we didn't have any other vehicles to get in and that my chief didn't want to delay a mission and get into trouble with uh, command. So we, he said he would look at it when we were in Taji, which was about six hours North. Um, so we were, um, yeah, we took off at that time. And when we got to first, the closest base, we fueled up and then we started to leave. And then the vehicle caught fire underneath the passenger seat. And it was an electrical fire, uh, having to do with a battery. And there was just black smoke billowing out and everybody else evacuated the vehicle. And I was stuck inside because I couldn't get out of this door. And then lo and behold, when the other truck commander came around and tried to get me out, he couldn't get me out from the outside either. Like it wasn't working like it was on post (laughs) to where somebody could open it and let me out. So I basically fought with a like 12 ton door for like two minutes and just, I broke my elbow, uh, tore, tore ligaments and, um, were you trying to, you broke your elbow trying to like break the window or something or Um, like what was a combat lock, which is a lever that kind of suctions the door together. So if you were to get hit with an IED, it wouldn't blow the door off and yourself. Um, so this lever was stuck shut is basically what the problem is. So, um, it wasn't, I was fiddling, like pulling on this lever, trying to get it to, to release. And, um, yeah, I just fought with the door basically for a couple of minutes and the smoke kind of got in my face. I mean, it was black billowing. I couldn't even take my seatbelt off. I couldn't find how to get out. And so the gunner came back through the gunner's hatch, which is the roof and grabbed me and pulled me out through the seatbelt. Um, nice. You've got, you've got a, yeah, you've got like a handle on the back of your armored gear, um, your vest. Yeah. Um, So he pulled the handle, pulled me and, Um, pulled me out and later i would find i had slip discs in my spine from getting pulled out but i was grateful Hmm. and uh you know we got out of that situation and i rode in the back of a vehicle for the rest of the mission and and had like smoke inhalation damage my my guess is those windows are like three inches thick so uh you probably can't maybe even like five or six (laughs) oh god yeah so uh, yeah i i take back my uh elbow comment so so him ripping you out of your seat did it did it break your back or Um, like what what happened so 
after the fact. It's taken me now a decade. It's been a little over 10 years um, this this year. Uh, we came back in August of 2009, and it's now you know 11, uh, November 2019. So in a decade, I have found out um, all the injuries that I did sustain over there from this accident. And then I worked for the whole year. So basically I wasn't allowed to get medical care and I'm not sure if this was covered up or if, you know, the unit even knew I'd been injured and maybe they didn't. Cause I found out later in life, like a couple of years ago that my command said they didn't even know this accident had occurred and the vehicle had caught on fire. Um, so I'm not sure the reality of what happened, I know I wasn't allowed to get care at treatment at all until our mission was over about three days later. And we came back and we just had a TMC, which is a troop medical center. And all they had there was an x-ray machine and like an 18 year old medic. So they gave me an injection that's elbow and it made it way worse. And cause now we know there were broken bones in there and floating around and it was already a lot of fluid. And then they added more fluid. So that's what happened there. Um, my back, I was having issues with my spine the entire deployment and you pretty much just get to pick one thing to go get help on. And then when you leave your your duty, like people get (laughs) mad at you for taking time off. So it was just kind of like, I'm going to deal with working through the year broken and get home and get fixed. That's how I thought about things. I just wanted to get done and get home and get fixed because there wasn't any way I was going to get help while I was over there. Um, So I now know I fractured my elbow. I had bones floating around in there. I now know that the elbow ended up going necrotic because it took two years to get help. By the t- what, what, does, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Um, the end of my humerus is pretty much, it's dead. And I actually have to have surgery in two weeks just to do a debridement, but there's no way to reverse the, to, to make the elbow come back alive is basically what the head medical director from um, UW Bone and Joint told me two weeks ago when I had my pre-op. So um, basically there's no way to reverse what the damage that's already been done. And we just have to hope that it doesn't keep dying at a rapid pace. So all they can really do for my pain level is, is like do a debridement, remove arthritis and extra bone particles that are still in there. But basically the end of the elbow, the humerus is, is dead right now. And it will be dying going up uh, in my arm, which is pretty terrifying uh, to have just found out because um, yeah, I, I've just been having pain for the last two or three years and I went back saying, what is going on? And they, and then the head medical said, well, he, we never must've told you this, but when you came in and we did the first surgery, the end of it's dead necrotic. So that, that's was kind of like, whoa. So that happened. So I the biggest, up- biggest thing so far against you is you have an extreme level of pain tolerance. Oh, you, yes. you can withstand slip discs and broken elbow, like and I tore ligaments in both wrists, also pushing off, trying to get out. And, um, and Jeez. yeah, I had a, a hip injury as well. So, so I've kind of been put back together like Humpty Dumpty. Over yeah, walk, walk me through now. like, so you you get home because mm-hmm. you toughed it out and <clears throat> wanted to get fixed when you got home. Right. I, I assume all this is... <laughs> I don't want any kind of classified situation. Like this is all like freely available information, I assume. Um, sure. Yeah, whatever okay. the military has documented. I have medical okay. records from Iraq okay. the whole time I was there. Um, and yeah, so basically uh, I knew I was really injured and um, they 
were waiving physical fitness tests for all soldiers coming home. So again, I went over there as an enlisted man and I was supposed to be an officer and I really still wanted to um, pr promote myself and my career with the military. And I feel like I wasted kind of a year because I was supposed to be doing continuing education and all this other stuff for my career in psychology when I was over there and that didn't happen. Um, so I uh, applied, we were allowed to go to um, a non-commissioned officer academy at that time, when we were coming home, they were waiving the physical fitness test for six months for all of those deployed. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to do push-ups or sit-ups or anything like that. Oh, God. So I, oh. I uh, asked to go with six other soldiers in the whole brigade. So there's about 2,000 people in the brigade, something like that. And six of us went. to. So we went straight from Iraq back home to Wisconsin. And then, and then we went to Texas. So I ended up in Fort Hood, <laughs> not for us, officer actual officer training, but for NCO, non-commissioned officer training. And I got my E6 sergeant, um, um, staff sergeant, I mean, um, up upon coming back home. And I didn't have to do a physical fitness exam. So I chose to extend my deployment an extra 10 or I think it was four or five weeks. I'm sorry, I was getting timelines messed up, but in four or five weeks to finish this officer NCO academy that, that I did. Um, and then came home and was in a, promoted to staff sergeant. Um, yeah, I think six months later, um, until I figured out what was going on with this officer yeah. stuff that fell through. So that, that was what I did. I, I continued to kind of try to keep enhancing my <laughs> situation the best I could. And so that was how I got delay like i lost all of my care because they kind of lost me in the system um so basically i asked when i got to texas how do i get fixed and they said you do it when you go back home and then as soon as i flew back home they said you should have you know demobilized when you were in texas and it was and gotten a medical treatment there so i kind of got two stories and i came home to my unit which was the medical company and it was like well you're kind of screwed now you know, you're, you're home and you've missed your opportunity to demobilize and tell them that you're injured. So I don't know who dropped the ball, how I got the ball dropped. I don't know what happened, but I came home and I legitimately couldn't get healthcare benefits. I couldn't get help. I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to go to the military. There's, um, like a unit, there's a unit called uh, the warrior transition program where military people that are deployed and injured get to go and they work they're given basically a paycheck and then all they do is take care of their themselves and go to these doctor's appointments, have their surgeries. And once everything's done and they're like healed, they get sent home. But I didn't get allowed that I got denied everything because the medical, like the documentation from the unit I was attached to wasn't done correctly. Our, our medical staff did not do line of duties. These are oh, important doc documents that you will not get horrible. Yeah, you will not get care when you get home if the line of duties aren't done for every body part. And mine, unfortunately, were not done. So even with my box of medical rec records from the whole year being deployed, saying I had all these injuries there, um, they they didn't care because I didn't have those pieces of paper called a line of duty. So it would be six years before I got that done by a medical provider in the VA um, after I got home and started getting care, meaning proving one by one by one, because the VA doesn't do more than one body part at a time. I had to just prove year after year after year, things were broken and, and in need of care and so, how they got broken. So after all this, I mean, 
traumatic experience overseas. Like you come back, you you can't get medical care. It sounds like you lost your your house. Is that correct? And then yeah, like you're just in basically like financial ruin trying to take care of your basic one on one health, and then. And I'm still serving in the National Guard. Washington National Guard is a staff sergeant and platoon sergeant in charge of a whole platoon of soldiers. Uh, isn't that incredible? I thought it was absolutely incredible. And I think it's the difference Scary. between active duty and National Guard, meaning Title 31. Um, and I, I still, to this day, don't know how this happened. And it's made me start, set up this nonprofit because veterans do not have financial aid. They do not have funding if their unit fails them or if their leadership fails them. And all I needed at that time when I came home was somewhere to live, you know, basic needs, somewhere to live, a job, health care, <laughs> you know, food. And I couldn't find any of those basic needs. It was absolutely incredible. It was like there's no post or base to go to in your National Guard. You can't stay somewhere for free unless you're admitted to these programs. And unfortunately, because the paperwork was not done correctly, um, or it had been lost, I got denied services. From I mean, how, how did that feel? Uh, like how- I've never felt so, so small in my life, like so in, insignificant, I guess. I mean, how were those nights? Like, I, <clears throat> I, I, I don't want to bring up something, you know. No, I, it's totally okay. I don't want to cause just, you stress. No, I, I'm absolutely wonderful now and 10 years later, but at that time, you know, I packed up my house that I would, went to Iraq to try to buy, you know, I went over there to buy a house and buy my car and, you know, have a better situation. Even though I was in a great situation, I worked as a medical healthcare provider. I, w- I was a behavioral health clinician and I did that. I still have my licensure, my certi- certification. You have a master's um, degree. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know how many people want to hire Anyone with a master's degree? Like, seriously. Yeah, this is a tough place around here. Though. Oh, um, so, yeah, it was it was, it was was pretty intense. Um, I tried to get help, like I said, through the National Guard. I ended up making my medical company really mad when I got home because I was causing rifts with the National Guard up at state. And it was just like they didn't know what had happened. So they wanted to boot me out. And they threatened my um, my sergeant. So, like I said, I, t- I got m- promoted because I went to that school and I got home and I ended up taking a job across the state and and outside of Yakima called Grandview, Washington. And I was actually for the first time in a chemical company, which is actually what I was pinned for. So um, I worked as a chemical NCO non-commissioned officer and did that for the last three years until I got out just because I wasn't going to be promoted because I already had uh, a bachelor's and a master's and I was an E6. You have to be in the service nine years to get promoted to your E7. And I didn't want to wait another th- two or three years because I was as high on the rigs as I could go. And I wasn't obviously going to get my officer. So I just decided to get out and let my enlistment run up. Um, but I, during that time, yeah, I lived with friends and family. Family I didn't really know. I moved to, like I said, Walla Walla and staying with family I, I'm not close with and I didn't grow up with and I don't know. And then ended up coming back to Bellingham and staying with friends here just because this is my hometown. Um, but it's been uh, a long 10 years working with the VA, trying to get health care benefits and get fixed. But I have been put back together pretty much like Humpty Dumpty now. And um, <clears throat> I'm using my, my nonprofit to share how I got better and healthy. And really, it's from resource like 
I started <clears throat> a working with a naturopath. I came back with an autoimmune disease. I had gained about 50 pounds. I ate like three bites of every meal and would throw up. And I was really sick. I couldn't digest my food. So this happened in the first year I came home on top of being broken completely. So I was like in so much pain. I was overweight. I was had rashes everywhere. We couldn't figure it out. I was using a light box on my hands because they were bleeding all the time. I'm just dry. And <clears throat> I was diagnosed with lupus. Uh, I think in 2010, they finally figured that out. So um, friends brought me home, family friends, and paid for a naturopath visit for me, which is a healthy doctor, essentially. And he taught me how to eat healthy and basically heal myself from the inside out. So that's what I started promoting on my webpage is healthy lifestyle, staying active, keeping your blood flowing in and out of surgeries. And that's how I started running. I started running not for other reasons like normal people run. I started running to save my life because after these surgeries, I would spend two or three months alone home by myself, no contact to the outside world. I get in this deep, dark depression and I literally wanted to die. I wanted to die. And I started running to get in the best shape of my life to go into these surgeries so that I had a chance of like my mental health not being so low when I started, you know, when I first got out of these surgeries, um, I started asking for help. I had friends setting up meal plans um, for afterwards. Um, and I started, like I said, eating healthy. No more chemicals. Um, actually, the VA had me on methadone for the first year and a half. I was out of the um, back from my rack. I mean, when we first started working on all the body parts, they had me on this. And I couldn't get off it. And I asked to actually be treated in an inpatient psych. Or I'm not psych. I'm sorry. Inpatient treatment somewhere. I worked inpatient psych as a therapist, so I, I don't know, it just slipped. But I asked to be put in somewhere for, like, treatment to get off of this methadone safely, because I know, but from reading about it, it was, like, supposed to be harder than heroin to get off of. Um, and they refused. They refused to give me care. They literally told me over the phone from the pain clinic in Portland to just cut the pill in half and stop, you know, start weaning myself off it. And, like... Uh, no, we cut that pill in half. And it's like, you can't get off methadone that way. Like, super unsafe. I mean, it, it's safe, but you have to, like, have a doctor walking through this. So, like I said, I went to this naturopath. He helped detox me from everything. I stopped caffeine, sugar. Uh, I didn't really drink, but alcohol, um, sugar. Oh, I already said that. Dairy and gluten. And basically, he, like, removed all of these things. It was the biggest shocker to my life. Uh, it was pretty unhealthy eater before that. And I just learned how to eat basically, you know, meat, vegetables, and a healthy carb um, every meal. And it changed my life. I dropped the weight, uh, the rashes slowed down. Um, it, it basically taught me how to become a healthy human. And then during that process, I also learned about yoga and meditation and, and how important it is to keep your body um, active during and after the surgeries. So I had physical therapy and chiropractic going on around these surgeries and yeah, started running um, basically because of these uh, photos that were taken and we had gotten into a magazine. Um, I just, I, I need to take a break. Oh yeah, totally. I haven't, I haven't cried behind the, uh, behind the interview before. Oh my gosh, Rob, you're so sweet. Oh, well, I'm sorry I made you cry. I am very grateful to be sharing my story. I'm really, really grateful to be here. So thank you, because you're, you're making my heart very happy <laughs> just to be able to share. I mean, I've, I've, uh, 
Sorry. <laughs> you are I, I, totally fine. <sighs> I'm actually grateful to be able to share my story and not cry because there was about five or six years where every time I would start to tell people, I just felt so victimized that it was just like, this is so unfair. And I was such in such a negative space and such an angry place. But like I said, becoming the healthy human I am now and learning how to change my lifestyle completely. It's like, I, I, as much as this sucked, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I feel like I can help people and I want to help veterans it's a huge need especially where i'm at in washington state like we need help um our veterans need funding and i know where i live in bellingham we really don't have resources here um that's kind of why i got out of inpatient health uh inpatient psych i was working at the hospital here for three years and we just kept seeing the same people over and over in and out and we had nowhere to put our veterans we had no help for them and it drove me nuts and going through it myself i totally understood so that's kind of why I took yeah, I, I'm I'm just amazed. You you were like probably one of the nicest people I've ever run with. Um, between you, Mike, and James, like <laughs> just unbelievable experience firsthand. And you'd mentioned, you know, that you were trying to you know gain some awareness for your nonprofit, but yeah. I had no idea what you'd been through. It was like trying to put that in perspective just uh, brought me to tears. So, um, thank you. Talk for me such a big heart. Talk to me about how you got running. I mean, it sounds like yeah, so- you you were totally neglected and in horrible shape. Yeah, I mean, I totally relate to having extra 50 pounds on your body, literally, like, I've been there, but not for the same reasons. Tell me, tell me about how you started running. Okay, so when I came back to Bellingham, I had just had my first elbow surgery, my first surgery, which was the hardest one on my left elbow, because I'm I'm left handed. So it was a dominant arm, and I legitimately couldn't bend it or straighten it for almost two years. It was just kind of stuck in this weird, like 110 degree position. (laughs) Um, So getting that surgery, like immediately when I woke up, I was like, Oh, my God, it's so much better. Like they they fixed it, whatever it was. And it was, you know, broken and bones and stuff in there. But so just cleaning all that out was wonderful. I was in a cast, came home, was running with a girlfriend that I used to play soccer with. Um, I've always been an athlete. Like I said, I played basketball, fast pitch and soccer and then played soccer in college as well. So I've run, but it's only been like, you know, a three mile run for keeping in shape. So I went running with her, continued to keep running. We did a nine mile run. And then she said, hey, do you think you could run a hill like this? And it was, like I said, it was called Galbraith Mountain. And I said, sure, I think so. And she said, I'd like you to join me. There's a new series in town called the Bellingham Trail Running Club and the Bellingham Trail Running Series. And it's a series of like five or six races, they're trail races, and over like a six-month period, and I think you should do it. And I go, I don't know about that, but I'll come for the first run and we'll see how it goes. Well, I made an appointment later in the day on this Saturday and I had no idea how long a trail run would be. So I just like zipped through this race and I go home, go to my appointment and my girlfriend texts me after and she goes, you bitch, you got third place. (laughs) She goes, what happened to you? I said, well, I was super late for an appointment and I just dashed and I I don't know. And she goes, well, I have a medal for you. So I have to meet up with you. (laughs) I thought, oh, weird. (laughs) And so I said, okay, uh, 
I'll do the, you know, she said, will you go to these, the other races with me? I said, sure. So we started running for the Bellingham trail running club and this was in 2012. And I almost feel like that was the first year might've been the second year. I'm not really sure, but got really close with the crew. There were about 15, like from the start that, that year, I call it the start. I think it was the first year, but like I said, I could be wrong. It might've been a year before that. And we we're pretty much like the home, home crew of this whole organization. And um, Candace Burt, of course, was in charge of it. And we just kind of made our, our family in this little Bellingham trail running club out of Bellingham. And so we did this, this series. Um, it was a great series that year. I, I think I ended up, I think I, I won, um, I first, first for my age group at that time, I was 30 to or Yeah. 30 to 39. So I got first for the age group and I think like third or fourth overall, something like that. So that was pretty big. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. This, you know, it feels good. I'm got my endorphins flying. And that's really kind of how I started running. Um, and just kept going back because of my friends there and the group runs and the activity and the races and started doing that. And stayed with the club until 2014 and then started working for Candace as uh, the volunteer coordinator. Um, I started having lower body surgeries at that time um, for other injuries that were sustained. Uh, yeah. Early. I had no idea you worked for Candace. Huh. Yeah, yeah. That's so, interesting. Yeah. So rather than running, I started working and volunteering at all the races and doing doing that. And so, yeah, I worked for her. I think it was in 2014 or 15. I can't remember because I volunteered for a long time, a few, like four years. And, I, and then I worked for her for, for like a season. So, um, and then I just started, yeah, racing again. Um, after my lower body, 14 and 15, I was doing lower, lower body surgeries and then came back um, in 16 after my hip surgery. And that's when I decided to set up the nonprofit. It took about a year. Uh, where I would just race through GoFundMe and sharing my story and would, and I, I just go around and I present to different places. If like a running club asked me to present my story, I'll go, you know, to Seattle or to Bellevue or Bellingham fair, you know, Fairhaven runners, whatever. So I'd share my story, you know, and I run, <laughs> run for veterans and I'm hoping to make, make this a bigger situation. So when I got the nonprofit going this last year, I decided to uh, run a 200 mile race. Cause as I had told you, um, earlier I had run a race in Greece and nothing really happened as far as being able to share my story on a bigger, you just, level. <laughs> you didn't just run a race in Greece. Yeah. You freaking crushed a race in Greece. Yeah. So tell tell back, me more I, about how, how that opportunity come up and like, give yeah. us a little background on what okay. transpired So after there. my hip surgery in 2016, I thought I was done having surgeries after, so I'd been six and a half years. Um, and my buddy, Nick Danielson asked me if I wanted to do a couple photo shoots. That's kind of how I'd been making money and getting my story out a little bit. Um, I just, I go to the mountains and I hike and I run and, and I take pictures and then people started noticing. And, and Nick, I ended up running with, with the trail club as well one day. And he said, can I, he's an amazing photographer. And he said, can I, can I use you as a model on, on a shoot that I want to do? I've got a couple people I'm trying to pitch to. And I said, absolutely. So we climbed Trapper's Peak out Highway 20. It was this scramble of a situation. I don't even know if I could ever find this place again, but, um, we, he took these incredible photos, ended up getting me in a uh, trail runner magazine, um, in, 
I think it was a the June calendar of the following year, and then we you made won. The, you made the calendar. Yeah, we made oh, the calendar, man. and then That's then we crazy. also won won the the very grand prize of the Washington Trail Association here in Washington. It's uh, a huge trail association, and he beat out about four thousand and eighty people Whoa. in photography to win the grand prize and get us on not only in the calendar on August, but we were like the grand prize. We were the, the cover photo. So I thought at that time, once I found that out, because it was a December right after my hip surgery, I found that out and they said, okay, I'm going to use running as my background. I can learn to run let's do something big. Let's, let's make really, a name for myself. Cammie, so when the- really quick, not to totally interrupt you. Can you, oh, re- no, can you good. reach out to him and ask if we can use his photo? Uh, to share this episode just so the listener knows like hey i clicked on this um (laughs) it sounds like an epic photo so we gotta we gotta share the episode it wasn't even my favorite that's what's funny or his i don't think (laughs) it was just one they chose and i was like oh weird but yeah it ended up it ended up getting out there and i decided i would try to win a really big race like an a, a big race and, and try to get my story out. Cause somebody has got to interview me. And my issue with uh, my post-traumatic stress syndrome is I've had a really hard time reading and writing. Like I can't calm my head to sit down and like, I, I'm literally going like 12, 13 hours a day, like in my own busy life running around in circles. I, I can't sit long enough to like read or write or get anything done like that. And I don't know what the mental block is other than it's just huh, that's I'm staying busy yeah, doing busy work. So does running that, help that at all? Yeah, it really does. So, okay. uh, yeah, just sweating and getting my endorphins going, but that's also when I'm spinning, that's where I go to. It's my go-to is to get, get out and see the mountains and the magnitude of God's creations. And it makes me and my life and my story and my situation put back into perspective. Like, it's not this big a deal. Look around me. Look at these mountains. Look at this glorious view that nobody, well, very few people can actually get to. You know, it's this trail running, mountain running that I've found. It's changed my life. Incredible. Like, an incredible way. Um, and it gets me as close as I can to, to God. And I'm very, very faithful and very thankful for where I'm at now as to where and what I've been through. And I think... I still think everything happens for a reason, even though the situation was really, really hard at the time. So on a good note, ended up <laughs> uh, taking on a coach for the first time and, and I was over on a pilgrimage and a retreat in Greece uh, in, in 2017, April, and ran a international mountain race there with 15 countries and ended up taking gold, um, first place for female. Wow. Um, and in the, Where did yeah. that come from? <laughs> well, I knew I was going on this retreat, this pilgrimage, and I just checked races in the area, and they were pretty much all road races, and I don't run road, and there was one race. It was called the Psyllaridus International Mountain Race, and I thought, oh, great. Other countries, <laughs> this actually is a big deal. It's totally televised, and the gal that won the it's year before. It's televised? Yeah, totally Oh, my was. God. <laughs> and the gal that won the year before like had like five articles written all you know her story was like 
all over the place. And she was running for like uh, leukemia or lymphoma or something like this. Some, you know, her mom had been ill. And so she was running these races every month for a year, like 12, 12 countries in a year or something like that. And I thought, okay, I can get my story out this way. And I was so sad to not even get one interview after this race. So they gave me this huge, like olive, like olive leaf crown and about a two foot (laughs) trophy, a bottle of wine and a huge bottle of honey. Like I had to buy a new luggage, extra luggage to bring all this loot home. Check that. Yeah. Yeah, it was on cloud nine, but nobody ever reached out to get my story out. So it was like, okay, okay, that was kind of a hit and a miss. So we went about the race season. Uh, I had actually signed up for the Bigfoot 200 um, and thought, okay, I'll just do a really big race and get my name out there and ended up having to have more surgeries to come. And so that took me out of that season. I rolled over to the next year and repaid and got in uh, this this year and ended up running the Bigfoot 200 in August with you. And that's kind of where where I That's where the worlds collided. Yeah. If it weren't for that giant bottle of honey. Oh, man. It's like Manuka honey or something. It's like healing properties from Greece. Oh, the best like, effort. You still have like 95% of that bottle available, right? Oh, Don't no. Lie. I totally ate it all. <laughs> I, like, I was putting it on body parts and stuff. I read about this stuff. It's like gold. Yeah. Well, their, their honey's like gold. It's it's ironic. Like, <clears throat> and for the listeners' background, we have someone special, not only for everything you just heard, but I mean, Cammy has done, let's see here. She's done three 50 Ks and two of those were in 2017. And then in 2018, she stepped up and did a 50 K and a 50 miler and decided in 2019 to do the hard, what I consider the hardest of the triple crown 200s. <laughs> Bigfoot 200. So if you're out there wondering if you're capable, I mean, I think it's amazing. You'd never done 100K. Or 100 miler. No, no, I have not. I'd never even done a marathon. (laughs) I just went straight to a 50K, then a 50 miler. And actually, there's about three or four races that aren't even on there, like the Pacilleritis race that I ran in Crete. It was a 7,000 mile, uh, 7,000 foot climb and a 35K um, wow. there in that 22 miler that I won as well. There's stuff that's not on ultra sign up still, but, um, I wish we could merge all the different sites. Um, yeah, but, yeah, in but general, seriously never done a hundred K No, and you sign up for miler. 205 <laughs> miles with 42,000 feet again, yeah, which so. I've signed up for a lot of ultras and none compare really to that one <laughs> what we did i know so i actually that wasn't my first choice i wanted to do tahoe but a buddy of mine ian decided to do this race because he did a so we volunteered in 2017 mm-hmm. and he's he's volunteered a few different years and has run an aid station at bigfoot and he always wanted to run this race because it's in our home home base our home territory so i agreed to run it and we were going to run together and he ended up getting injured and was unable to run. And it was like, well, I'm in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm doing this alone, I guess. And uh, I was just really grateful to have uh, crew and help from my girlfriends um, this year to help help get it done. And and when 
those tables were turned, you know, I had you and met uh, James and Mike and the three of you guys got me through this entire race. So, I mean, I tell you what, I'm lucky. <laughs> I mean, and to flip the tables, like uh, I, I would say that you guys got me through at least my low point. I mean, I remember, I'm trying to remember where I was. Uh, I was sitting on a road, laying down, trying to eat, <laughs> trying to eat food. I was desperate because I was, I was running and I felt good, but I was going through brush that was like up to my chest. Right. And it was totally, hard to see the course at that totally point. sketched out. Like I haven't been sketched out that bad i think ever because like you run a mile like it was probably what half a mile seg sections or quarter mile sections with you can't chest- see the trail you can't see the trail it's <laughs> chest high brush and you're just right. like i was so low huh. and it was it was what probably 1 a.m it was like pitch dark yeah it was so not i, I didn't even know i i thought you were just chilling having a cat nap and when you asked to join us, I had no idea you were you were at such a low until we actually started climbing Elk's Peak, yeah. and then then I realized. But um, no, yeah, I, I was grateful. I didn't have my crew that night either. I had a, a snafu with two of my gals, and one of them had to leave. Her car was broken into or something, and so she couldn't leave her car because the window was missing, and the oh, other gosh. one was wasn't able to run at all she was just straight crew so i was alone that night too and thankfully mike and james showed right back up right when i was getting ready to go so um where i was were, grateful to have them too where night. where were we it was just it was after click attack is that right i'm trying to remember like, yeah yeah you're absolutely right it okay right i feel i feel like it was like mile 165 ish because yeah, we'd done the water crossing the first one with um yep. Hillary was taking photos and stuff. Roger. Yeah. So we were well beyond click attack, but Twin right. Sisters was still way far away. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in between. How how did you and James and Mike meet up? <laughs> so the very first night, as you could probably remember, it was a, a pretty cool day. Like uh for Bigfoot in general, it's normally ninety, ninety-five degrees and or maybe even more than that. And this was the first year that it was overcasty and cooler. And um that first day I, I had run with Mika Fuse for most most of the day and I let her her go ahead of me. She's um, really nice. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. She's incredible. It wasn't until about mile fifteen or twenty or thirty. I don't even know how far I went with her, but I didn't realize how amazing of an ultra athlete she was. And she's like, yeah, I got first here and second here and third here on these two hundreds. And I'm like, Oh shit. Excuse my language. Yeah. But Ben is Ben. All of a sudden my coach jumped in my ear, Ben light, the amazing Ben light ultra <laughs> guru of 200 finishers, a triple crown finisher. Anyway, he hopped in my ear and said, cam, you better slow down. What are you doing? <laughs> and when I realized who I was with, Miss Winner of 200s. And so I let her hop ahead of me um, after Johnson's Ridge. Uh, I think that's when it was. And I slowed it, slowed my pace a it's bit. It's like mile 40 ish. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 40 ish. I wasn't sure like how I was going to do it on a full 200. So I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I'm going too fast. And I heard him in my ear and I thought, okay, I'm just going to do my own thing. And uh, slowed slowed down and actually had Becky Rogers with me most of the rest of the day. I'd be either in front of me or in back of me. We were just kind of hop, hopscotching and got to 
gosh, where were we? Cold water. And the heavens opened up. Like we legitimately were running around cold water lake and Becky and I, and lightning was striking and thunder was about a minute long. How crazy was that? It was so crazy. And I've like, I was, I wanted to steer, stay near her because I don't do, I don't do lightning. Okay. I'll do everything else. I had to pair, I had to pair up like, yeah, yeah. That was extreme. Right. So I followed her in and we, the heavens opened up right when we got to the aid station. Like legitimately it was the worst torrential downpour I've ever seen in Washington. It was sideways wind, thunder for a minute or two and lightning all over the place. And it was like, what is going on? So this aid station over the next three hours, like housed three or 400 or no, I don't know how many people, because it was a hundred K runners as well. So it was like, 100k and the 200 i mean it was housing like 100 or 200 people and they were sitting and there were 55 drops at this aid station that night so i'm in trying 55 just for the 200 yeah Yeah. which is a crazy group of people like they i'm sorry yeah for the they've been through a lot about the 100k because i know a lot of people that dropped that one too so Uh this was yeah so i'm sleeping in a tent at least attempting i couldn't sleep for anything i got about 15 minutes of rest and somebody asked us to wake up and let other people in and two men are next to me and they're like getting their gear on i said are you guys going out into the night and they said yeah and i said well i either go now or i drop can i join you and i'm talking to james delorme <laughs> he's he's going for his uh the ultra 200 almanac record this year he's he's gonna most 200s ever completed in one year or something in one year exactly so he will be on number 10 at the end of november here in just a couple weeks um and yeah he's completed nine already which is absolutely incredible so meet this guy ask him if i can join his buddy grumbles like ah shit we're taking a girl i don't want to get held up (laughs) No, Mike's a good guy. At the time, no, he'll agree to this. At the time, he was like, oh, no. And James was like, sure, you can join. And so um, James DeLorme and Mike DeRitter and myself, we all go out into the night. Um, I didn't even have rain gear. My crew couldn't get to me at this point. The, what? The rain you didn't and have the hail was so crazy. You didn't have rain gear? No, I didn't have shit. That's insane. I, had plans on them meeting me. I mean, I had what was required. I had a rain coat, <laughs> but um, I I had planned. I literally saw my crew an hour before that, and we had planned that we'd meet there, and I would get my night gear, my everything I wanted, my kogala, like all of my big stuff. And <clears throat> yeah, I learned my lesson first time that night. Like you carry everything the entire race, like no so, matter. Um, weird question so, for you. Yeah. Totally weird yeah. question. With all the lightning strikes around you. Yeah. Was it anything comparable to going to Iraq and knowing like gunshots are firing all around you? Like, oh, good like question. No. Like the fear factor. Was, honestly, my fear factor was, ah. Uh, I guess just getting ready to climb Mount Margaret. It was the highest peak on the course. I think, uh, what's the elevation of that? Like five, seven. Um, yeah, I don't remember, but it's the highest climb. So I, and I, it was pretty exposed. So like, that's what I was worried about was lightning. Like, but no, um, it was, I didn't think about that scenario at all. It was just more or less going into the night with two male perfect strangers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, well, this is either the shit or get off the pop moment. Like you're either going to have to drop cause you've been here too long or you go. And, um, 
that that night did mess me up because I had planned on being a lot faster in this race in general, and it bumped me down a few places, uh, and I wasn't happy about it. But I, like I said, meeting them, being able to go out into the night and continue the race was just like like with the conditions. I mean, once we got to the top of Mount Margaret, it, there was about four inches of hail. I thought it was snow. It was so thick and it ended yeah. up being hail yeah. i mean it was just crazy we were just getting pelted 12 ways of sunday for the entire night and then about 4 a.m we had this amazing sunrise that was starting that was and it stopped can i just say that stopped. was the most amazing sunrise of my entire yeah. life right was, was that the same for you i mean you yeah, couldn't have, you couldn't have been more than an hour probably behind me right right probably not it was beautiful I think we got done with that section around 6 a.m., somewhere around there, 6.30. You might have been ahead. I, I don't even know. But I, <laughs> like, running towards, I'm trying to remember which mountain was right in front of us. <clears throat> um, was it St. Helens? Yeah, there wa- there were three. Um, and Adams was also, but I think you're right, right in front of us was, um, gosh, it was, was it either rain, Rainier or St. It might have been Rainier. Yeah. I know. I'm it was just totally stunning. Um, yeah, it was. I, I continue to believe that there was probably a one-mile stretch that was the best one mile, like the most memorable mile of running of mm-hmm. my whole life in terms Aww. of, like, we're running in the clouds and watching yeah. the sunrise over probably the most beautiful mountain peak. It was just amazing. Yeah. It is beautiful, and especially after a storm here in Washington. Like, uh, it's just stunning the sunrises you get or the sunsets, depending on what type of day, time of day. Uh, I Yeah, it was incredible. It was stunning. We were on cloud nine, all three of us. And by then, Mike DeRitter had completely opened up and took me under his wing. And <laughs> was like, all right, girl, you can keep up. You're you not cracked so. him. That's good. <laughs> Once yeah. you crack Mike, oh, yeah. he's the I'm greatest. In I'm in like Flynn. <laughs> I didn't realize, like, when you guys ran past me that you'd been running 100 miles together. Yeah, at least. Like pretty much. 120, I maybe. I only left them in the daytime when I had crew, my girlfriends there. And and really, we just, like, hips, uh, like hopscotched each other. And, like, I would see them the whole day anyway. I'd be like, these are my buddies, Mike and James. I can't call him Jimmy. He'll get mad. Mike <laughs> and James. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty fun. It was, like, every time... Every time it was about to be dark and I was going to be alone, there they were. It was great. <laughs> so did you guys have any, or did you have any low points in, oh, like, yeah. until <clears throat> you saw this pathetic soul laying down on the road? You weren't. I, like I said, I didn't even know until we started climbing Elk's Peak. And I'm just going to throw it out there. You did hallucinate a little bit. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, we need to take care of this this gentleman. And uh, yeah, but I mean, you held it together, had no idea. I was definitely hallucinating that night for sure. I was seeing all sorts of crazy things. Uh, but basically the ferns were all turning into T-Rex heads and then <laughs> they were like swaying about. And then I just kept seeing, every time I'd hallucinate, I just kept seeing those little, like, they're like stone I think, what are they like stone creatures in a, in a garden, you know, like how there's like, like no kids, like drawing up a well or whatever. I don't know why people put these in their gardens, but it was just like stone figures, figurines, like 
talking or sitting on a bench together or like drawing up a well. I kept seeing stone figurines all over, but they were alive. They'd like look at me and like smile and wave. And I'm like, oh my God, it was like ghosts. It was like, what is this? So that's, those were my hallucinations. So you're running through long. basically a Disney movie. Yeah. It was so weird. <laughs> it was so weird. That's that awesome. Weird, that was the weirdest night, but I wasn't scared at all because I had y'all, y'all. Like I had yeah. all three of you and I was just like, this is fun. Well, you, you mentioned like we, you're like, yeah, just run with us. Or I, I think you were actually, you were right behind James and then Mike was behind you. Right. And you said something like, no, don't worry. Like I was really intimidated by running at the running in the night. Telling us you were slow going uphill. And I was like, what? Just come on. You're fine. I know you're not, or you wouldn't be running this race. <laughs> you did. You did just fine. You were just, I think, in your own head, and we we're like, we. I didn't even notice you were hallucinating. Like I said, so like to me, I don't even remember that. Like I think I remember who you saying it like twice, and we were just like, you're fine, and let's go. I was like, seeing ads going. on like you know those door <laughs> hanger like someone walks by your place and like puts the door hanger things on. I was seeing them like on. <laughs> all like it was like a christmas tree except it had door hanger ads weird then I'd, then I'd see like giant ads blowing in the wind like it was a tire store or something oh my like, gosh that's hilarious and then yeah the talk ta- the the now infamous uh taco, taco stand bar. yeah and <laughs> so that just, was a weird moment <laughs> it, it was super weird and you were of of the three i mean all of you guys were super nice but you almost like kind of took me under your wing and like really were like, are you okay? Like, I don't mind hanging back. And okay. I was like, no, and I was I okay. I embarrass you for one minute. And then my nose started bleeding. It was yeah, just okay. a That's fucking, what I was gonna share. it's a shit That's, show. <laughs> I was like, I am not leaving this fellow on any level. So we're climbing up this Elks Peak, the second, I think second or third highest peak of this course. It was steep as hell. And it was very there there was a harvest moon that was like orange and like the size of the sky and then other than that it was like whipping wind and freezing and you couldn't see in front of you like 10 feet um i didn't know that (laughs) yeah it was super foggy and crazy so we're climbing this james and mike go ahead of us about i don't know a quarter mile or whatever yeah you and i are slowing down a little i'm like i'm not leaving him because you're like worried you this is when you were telling me i'm not a good climber or whatever i was like what yeah you are you're just having a low point like you're cool and then you were like, well, I'm just going to lay down here. Uh, I'm not feeling very well. And like, all of a sudden, like I look over and your nose is bleeding and I'm like, oh shit, I can't leave him here because we are just talking about cougars and like, I don't know what's around here. And if he's bleeding, like something's going to come get him. Like I just started panicking. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh, I, I hadn't thought about that. So they yeah. could probably smell so it. I didn't want to hmm. tell you that at the time, but that's what I was paranoid. I was like, dude, blood in the middle of where are we? Uh, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So you go to lay huh. down and I'm like, and you're like, whoa, what's really weird is over here. I see a taco bar <laughs> and in the distance. Well, we're on a cliff, guys and reader. Or There's a drop off on, on the right. right? Freaking cliff. And this kid is trying to go lay down on the cliff and he's telling me he can see a taco bar or a taco stand in the distance and i'm like oh good god so i go okay you lay down and i'm gonna go get them and you know james and mike and and we'll be right back so i run ahead and i get james and i'm like hey guys 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 i didn't know you said you'd be right back Ah. yeah 
And I said, I, I had told you, like, if you feel better, you know, get up and run and catch up with us. But we're, I'm going to go get them. We're going to slow down and come back. So I go up there and I, they're chatting away and I, I just start yelling because they're, they're like, won't let me have a word in edgewise. I was like, guys, <laughs> hey, we can't leave Rob. Like his nose is bleeding and he sees a toggle bar and there's a cliff and I'm not comfortable. And James says, hold up, wait. And they all stop. And James is like, I'm going to get him. <laughs> And he flips around and he ran back down toward you. And right then we see your, your, your headlight and you're like already a backup and coming to meet us. So it was just like, it was only like a five minute blip that you took a little break. I don't even know how you got back up, but like, wow, it was pretty encouraging. And I was like, Oh, no, I mean, from my perspective, (laughs) the fact that you guys cared to even like check on me, I was just like totally amazed. It was probably the most kind act i've ever seen on the trail like you guys you guys didn't pretended basically at least from my perspective to like run ahead but then you'd all kind of wait around and like oh is rob coming yeah and then anyone we're gonna leave you i wouldn't have left them they wouldn't have left me no they're the sweetest kindest it was if you're in our group we got your back like we it was we don't leave anyone honestly it was that in itself the fact that you guys cared about me um in my low point like helped yeah it helped me and then we got through that massive climb that was a massive that was an ugly climb hard that was super hard and it was so cold at the top oh my gosh yeah i don't remember the temperature that's so interesting that that's your memory it was like 30 degrees it was whipping wind the fog was super thick and by the time we got up there, that huge harvest moon had kind of come down and was kind of a yeah. yellow, not a bright red orange anymore and was really small. And it was such a huge climb for no views. I am all about <laughs> will climb for views. That's one of my hashtags with my nonprofit. And I'll tell you what, I hate summiting. It was like 2 a.m. the damn view. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Kalo was up there in the daytime and I got, we got, I got to see his photos of what it looked like or, or the surrounding area. And it was beautiful. He's the um, best. Yeah, he's so sweet. I mean, we have so many amazing people. The in this the funniest world. The funniest thing was like then after that climb, out of desperation, I just started kind of like. You came back, yo. <laughs> no, I just I was like, <laughs> I need this aid station. Like you I need came it. Back to life. And Mike, Mike was like, Yeah, we're probably like a mile away. Right. Right. It, three miles later, we hit the aid station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I was grateful to get and, there. That's for sure. And just really quick, I want to relive this moment. How <laughs> how was the aid station from your perspective? It was great. It was. Um, I mean, it was I great. Was I was cold as hell and my stuff. But other than that, like the aid station was amazing. Everybody was awesome. My buddy Molly was working there, so it was like, yes, I get to see a friendly face. Who's like, oh, thank God. Because I had been told like four or five of my friends were working this race. But it was like every time I got to that specific aid station, those people had already gone home. Like my friends. So it's like, oh, I waited all this time and they're not here. Molly was so there. I was like so stoked for her support. And like everybody was there. Like I think I had like three rounds of like some kind of amazing rigatoni red sauce Uh, noodle dish. And I was just like, I need more. Didn't you get to like sleep in someone's car or something? Yeah. I slept in my buddy Lois's car for like, I think like 20 minutes or half an hour. So whatever it was, I just set the alarm to when you, when 
James and Mike said. We, and, said. Yeah, James, James, <laughs> Mike, and I just like pass out in our chairs, I like so curled hilarious. up in balls. And Cammy, she he, she just got the special treatment. I did. Um, I got so lucky. But the best, awesome. the best part of this aid station was looking around, and then like James would nod off, and then Mike's like. All right, you ready to go? And then like you came back <laughs> and then James nodded off and then came back and then That was so And then we we were all like, like all right team. So all right team. We're going. And like yeah. the four of us exiting at the same time. Yeah. Was odd. It was so cool like how we actually like had <laughs> formed a team out of nowhere. Absolutely. But 15 miles of that I mean, we did some crazy river crossings. They'll be on the Amazon TV show. And like, uh, hopefully the taco bar makes it. A crazy um, climb. Yeah. Crazy cre- brush. Yeah, that night was definitely the, the, we had a lot going on, especially with me hallucinating also. Like, I had a lot going on. It was fun. I had I had a blast that night, honestly. <laughs> Tell me, I mean, T-Rex heads in garden gnomes or whatever was going on there like when when else did you hallucinate while we were running together because i wasn't aware of that no just that night it was just it was that night and uh like i think the following morning a little bit Um, you were excited after that nap your energy levels just totally reset yeah they did and we like cross that like that bog almost it was like that yeah. weird bog and then that climb was pretty intimidating yeah where were we at in time wise like 48 hours at that point or was oh, it more God. like 72 i don't I, even remember i i think that was we were on the third day third, okay yeah i think but i i mean who knows <laughs> All I know is James it all kind of is a blur. James and, and I took like off anyway like a blur that well, next day. <laughs> what's weird is James and I took off. So like that yeah, sketchy true. descent that was marked every 50 feet. We we go through this pass that was just absolutely stunning with yep. giant mountains on every side. During the daytime we got that which was good because the drop-offs were deadly. Um Right. Glad I didn't do that at night. um but yeah james and i kind of like descended quick and then you two you and mike held back a little bit so james and i probably descended three miles and then we got to a pond or like a lake and i was just like james like how you feeling whatever and he's like dude if you if you pushed it you could go i forget what he said if it was sub 70 or sub 80 i think probably yeah sub 80 i was like wait what i could go sub 80 and like his that single comment was the catalyst to like spark me and i was like james i love you but i'm going and we were like i was like do we need to worry and we'll just do our own thing right mike and he's like hey we don't have to worry at all james won't leave us he'll be right there pretty soon he won't leave me i know that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, well, then he's having a blast with Rob and then he's going to pull back. And he did, uh, you know, he showed up out of nowhere, <laughs> <laughs> like about five miles later, like after we got, I, I did the, mo- I did a movie at the top of the third climb that we did. Um, 
And uh, I, I can't remember what peak we were at, but that's where we had the 360, the, our first day of like sunshine. And it was the three of us on this peak. Uh-huh. And there were like mountains all around. There was Rainier, there was Adams, there, there was like Hood, I think. And and we were at mile 173. I know that because I did a movie and I'd said this at that time. And it was just Mike and I and you guys had taken off. That's where you took off. You, of you actually, I think you or James held my GoPro. And I ran yeah. past, and I think I have a photo with, like, the majority of the group in it. Um yeah. But it was nice because we dropped down, never ending to get to that aid station. I don't know wow, if that's that how— that was the longest descent of my life. That took, and I love descents, but wow, that was that long. <laughs> that 16 miles felt like more 38. than— It felt like a 50K. Oh, I know. Um but it was cool because yeah. it was an out and back section. I think I saw you guys when I was climbing, feeling good. Yeah. Someone had told me I was like top 20 or like top 30. And all I of a sudden. I was like, you go, boy. Like when you, I knew I knew how far I had. I knew yet you had rejuvenated and you were going to be fast. And I was like stoked for you. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll see him at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was that was the best part was so I saw you guys there. We all did our thing. But then seeing you guys at the finish line, like getting to hang out. Oh yeah. It's special. It's special, right? I mean, is that how you feel? Yeah, it was absolutely special. And then you get to see people and like, I don't know, as a female, I'm like, nobody recognized me because I have like blonde hair. But when I'm running, I am like a guy. I sweat so much. I have like black hair because it's wet. (laughs) And we were being poured on for three days. You know, it was like we only had one day of sunshine and that rain did not help my hair either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knew who I was at that at that ceremony, though, like at the, the final day. It was so hilarious. They're like, James looked at me like three times and was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, dude, yeah, it's me. I've been hanging out with you for like four days. <laughs> I, I feel like, honestly, uh, like I probably sat down next to you and might have had to ask or something. Yeah, totally. I think, <laughs> yeah, most everybody did. And I think all three of you probably did. You took a hilarious. top 10 female. I did. You took I got eight. eight. Yeah. yeah. That's solid. Considering... <laughs> Your longest race to date was 50 miles, and man, we almost ran 50 miles together. Like, right? It's crazy. It was a great experience. I between you and me, I really wanted to do so much better than that. That first night really got me. Like, yeah, I think I it got a lot like of people. Five hours, yeah. um, and then another aid station. I wasted two hours, so I, I, I was about seven hours behind what I wanted to be, and I don't know where that would have put me. Maybe fifth or sixth or fourth like i don't know but um again being this first 200 my only my only goal when i got ben um to coach me which is an amazing story in it's in itself but (laughs) when ben agreed to coach me uh that was my only goal is just to finish like he he wanted me to finish sooner obviously and i was really well trained i know i could have um it was just the weather conditions and that dang lightning i really didn't realize how frightened i was of lightning like i'm not scared of anything really except for a shark that (laughs) i I, i've never asked someone to compare uh experience in iraq to a trail running condition but i know crazy that was pretty intense and yeah I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to paint the picture because it's nice to have like a outside perspective on what I experienced. So right. I'm probably just trying to satisfy my own 
<laughs> understanding well, of that. Living in Washington my all, entire life, like legitimately, I have never seen rain, thunder, lightning, hail, anything like that. It, the heavens opened up like something was going on with the universe that night. And I don't know what the heck, but I never imagined anything like that happening, especially with Bigfoot being 95 to 100 degrees every year. This was the first year they'd even have storms. And it was like literally rainy and crappy and cold the three of the four days. So, I mean, this was in and of itself super uh, uncommon for, for the Bigfoot race. So, uh, yeah, I didn't expect that at all. I was expecting to have issues with like heat, uh, heat, heat issues, heat and electrolyte problems was what I was expecting for myself. And you know, I'm what? so grateful I had none of that. Without that massive storm, we would have never met. That's what I'm saying. Like so, for a reason. Yeah. It, it does. It's it's funny how that works out. Um, right. and I'm so grateful everything happened the way it did. Because so I, I wouldn't have been laying out in the forest at mile 100 <laughs> sleeping. Um, <laughs> uh, so God works in mysterious ways, I tell you. What, I mean, what's your takeaway from Bigfoot 200? I know you had expectations of this epic <laughs> film being yeah. developed to tell <laughs> your story and to raise awareness for running for combat veterans. Like I know you were yeah. probably somewhat disappointed going in, but like, tell me how you feel about that race. And then I want to hear your thoughts on 2020 and kind of what you have in the works. Yeah. Personally, um, my fears were conquered. The reason I ran I signed up and decided to run this race and personally, um, we're completely conquered. And thanks to Mike, James, and you, um, even though you don't know it, but um, personally, my goals were completely accomplished. Uh, I also, the goal for the race, which was just to finish, accomplished. Um, the goals for nonprofit, you know, we, I had been. Uh, propositioned by Nick, the guy that took the award-winning photography for Ultra Runner Magazine and the Washington Trail Association <clears throat> calendar and um, cover in 2017. And another fellow named Kel Rydell, who also, he does uh, drone work. And the two of them had collaborated and they wanted to do their first movie w with sharing their talents with the world with my story. And so I had been propositioned in the spring right after I had signed up for Bigfoot and <clears throat> we were going to actually tell my story and share it with a couple of different film fests and try to get my story out there that way. And at the last minute um, they were unable to get permits for the Bigfoot 200 and they weren't able to come. So it was like the night, the Sunday before the race, the race started Friday, um, that I found out that the movie was just a, a wash and it wasn't going to happen and we didn't have film crew. So <clears throat> it was kind of scary. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm choking on something, but <clears throat> it was kind of like a scary moment then. Um, cause I was like, oh my gosh, am I doing this for nothing? But like, again, my personal goals and what I've been through to accomplish this kind of magnitude of a race was uh, far beyond what exceeded like what my thought process was of going into this race. So like, I'm so grateful. Everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think that I can still share and I think I can still do good things. And I'm going to keep working at my nonprofit to make it something bigger and, and better. And hopefully 
really well, what I want with the national publicity is to get another I want to help reform our current VA system. I want to get into Washington. I'm currently working with leadership and medical director out of Washington, D.C., Ms. Carolyn Clancy. And I want to help reform this VA to make it work for veterans so we're not struggling. And I also want to meet any other nonprofits out there that are reaching for the goal of getting financial aid for veterans waiting on health care, meaning health care funding, which is what I'm doing. So if I can collaborate with any other organization out there, that's what I'm trying to do with a national publicity. And, you know, I want to get into Washington and get on the board of directors and help change our current VA system so that works. I know how it works and it doesn't. I'm, I know the ins and outs of this entire system. When they hear my name at the VA in Washington, they give me what I want because, meaning health care, because I've worked hard and I know what I'm doing and I'm very educated in the system. And when it's not working, I will make it work. And I want everyone to have this opportunity like I get. I get treated with respect. I get through the head medical director from Washington. And when I have problems, I call her. I have her own cell and email. And she gets me in contact with the other people that can help me in Washington. And I get my health care in, in line. And, and I know for the first five years, that did not happen. It was like when there was a bump in the road, I had to wait six months for a doctor's appointment. And it shouldn't be that way. We're hurting ourselves. This is why my elbow is necrotic. That first couple of years, I was not getting care. And I just had to sit and wait. Or you get a bad doctor and they say, no, it's not. This is not a problem. Go do physical therapy six months. That's how this elbow got necrotic. There was nobody to go to to say, hey, this isn't working. This person misdiagnosed me. I can't move my arm. Like, I went to patient advocate. They don't care. They don't help, not in this state. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at is just I want to make a big change with our health care system. And I, I know I can help make that change if I just have more support in the nation all across. And I do have a lot of connections. It's just we're all kind of in the same mission, trying to do the same thing. And I'm the one that's like, more athlete-based, meaning the nonprofit is a little different than my other friends who are rallying at these benefits for VA and that kind of thing. So it's well, a little if, different. But. If I can help in any way, let me know. And there's, th you. there's, you know, there's thousands of people that will hear this, which is <laughs> awesome. Um, Thank and, you so much for letting me share here. I am so oh, grateful for you. Like I again, just, when we're running, I didn't know who you were. <laughs> yeah, and, so amazing. I didn't. I didn't know any of your background. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't teared up hearing um, someone's story on oh, on this yeah. level, like because I just know happy go lucky. Like Cammy's helping me out, and we're just uh, chatting away on the trails. Um, oh. So it was it was amazing hearing your story, and I also do some film work. I'm not a drone expert, <laughs> <laughs> but. No. Both Kel and Nick, they're amazing. And I, you know, everything, like I said, happens for a reason. And I hope that, yeah, they're, they're doing well. I know they are, but yeah, I'm not at all bashing the situation, how it went down. Like I still no, think no. everything worked the way it should have. We finished the race. We raised, thank you for adding that point. I wanted to share. Um, we ended up raising about $5,742 during Bigfoot awesome. uh, for our nonprofit veterans who are waiting on health care funds, meaning somebody goes to my webpage, fills out an application, sends it to me. If they need a bill paid, I will pay that for them. That's so um, cool. Yeah. And I 
also, that's another reason I want to get the nonprofit name out there because not many veterans know that they can have financial aid funding uh, through my nonprofit. So that's what we're doing. And I want to share and I want to help people and I want to help people learn how to use the system and get healthcare needs through the VA. So, yeah, that's I love the it. Whole goal. I mean, you're an amazing athlete, amazing person, and this is so selfless. Like, you're not, you, you're getting the help you need and you're doing this. Because you don't want people going through what you had to go through. Oh, man. Uh, it's, it's totally amazing. So, thank you, Rob. Cammie, let's, yeah, let's stay in touch. Uh, and I'll leave in the show notes a link to her nonprofit. And, Cammie, where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, so I've got a Facebook page, which is Running for no- uh, running for Combat Veterans, um, and that's on Facebook. And then you can follow me on Instagram. It's still kind of connected. It's all one. I haven't done just a nonprofit yet, um, but it's Cami Tasker, C-A-M-E-T-A-S-K-E-R on Instagram. And then we have our webpage, which is www.runningforcombatveterans.org. And yeah, those are our three current sites right now. Stay strong and... Um I'm sure I'll see you at a future race here soon. All right. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate you. This has been fun. And that was episode 119. I hope you enjoyed it. Big thank you to Cammy for taking all of her time and being so open and sharing a lot of details, you know, personal stuff that she's been through. And I think it's amazing that she's doing this for others. So check out the show notes for a link to her charity you know thank you you know for all your support thank you for the notes kind messages i love all of that thank you to the show sponsors hammer nutrition sufferfest beer exoskin destination trail ultimate direction patreon supporters and yeah if you're interested you know the the books on the website i might have some deals coming up for you guys for the holidays so just really appreciate it. If you're interested in mentoring, feel free to reach out, email me, get a hold of me, however. But get out there. Don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a good week.